Um, and so it is unsightly. <laughs> um, and, but my eyes are super sensitive um, and just irritated. So, and then sunglasses also just remind me not to touch them as well. So, I am not a rock star accepting a Grammy, uh, a Grammy, doing my Grammy speech or anything like that. I was, I'm not a victim of spousal abuse or anything. This is really just, um, it's just weird, honestly. It just sucks. It, it's not a lot of fun. Um, but that's where I'm at this morning. So, I apologize if it's somewhat of a distraction to you. Uh, I had to try to weigh out uh, what's going to be distracting to you versus I just got a job to do up here and it's super hard to see right now. I, I spent quite a bit of time in the dark yesterday. Okay, so that's where I'm at. Um, let's transition back to God and what he's doing among us, his word. This is all about um, worshiping him. That's why we're here. Um, it is such a privilege to be with you week after week and to worship God together. Uh, it doesn't matter how many of us are here because the Lord is here. Um, and I, I come week after week with this sense of anticipation that the Lord is here and he's moving and he's speaking and he's working and, and my job is simply to be obedient and increasingly sensitive to him. Uh, and that, that's my prayer for us as well. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about today, um, about this particular message. It's this message, if, let me be careful that I don't put it the wrong way, it's not that I have somehow crafted a better message than others, and, and, and because of that, this will transform your life. No. But the, the message from the scriptures today, if, if, you, if you and I really get this message, it will transform your life. I don't have amazing stories or illustrations or anything like that, but what I have are scriptures that if you, if you really see these for what they are saying, it will transform your life. And if it transforms your life, it will transform your family, it will transform your neighborhood, it will transform the city. Uh, that's why I'm excited about this message today. And, and it, it starts to come out in the creed. Uh, we are going to do the Nicene Creed together, and then I'm going to get us to open the scriptures, and we are going to run through a lot of scriptures this morning. So um, we're going to do the Nicene Creed together, which my sunglasses don't actually let me read, so don't look at my eyes. Um, let's, let's do the Nicene Creed together here. Let's, let's say this together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. You said two fingers. If you hit the... Just, there you go. All right. And we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father, before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. 
he suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. One God in three persons. We worship you because all three persons are intimately involved in your creation. We worship you because you are intimately involved not only in your creation, but in our salvation and in your ongoing plan of restoration and rescue and renewal until the renewal of all things. And you are the God that we bow down before in worship and say, we owe you everything. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave up and emptied yourself in order to come here and be with us. For us and for our salvation, you came down says, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. We celebrate you this morning. Lord, we, this morning as we, as we fix our eyes, as we fix our minds on Jesus, as we, as we focus on the scriptures, would your spirit illumine us, enlighten the eyes of our heart. Would you, would you open our minds so that we understand the scriptures. Would today be like the Emmaus Road where we walk alongside, alongside Jesus and you open to us the scriptures that we have seen before, but now we read them afresh in light of who Jesus is so that our lives are transformed, so that our hearts burn within us, as those two on the Emmaus Road said that we might go and tell others about the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that this city would be transformed. Lord, would you do that work in us this morning? We love you, Lord. That's why we're here. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone got me a bigger clock, and I'm not sure if that was a, um, something to be nice or if that was a little bit of a, here's a bigger clock, Ben. Um, 
you're right. I, I'm going to take it as someone's being nice. Uh, so thank you. I can see that and we've got some time here, but we've got a whole lot of things to move through. And I am going to go pretty quickly. But let me remind you, uh, and for those of you who weren't here, who weren't here two weeks ago, that um, I, I shared a story about having a dream, in, in which in a dream, uh, someone handed me a book, and on the front of the book was the word John. And I, I started processing that with the Lord, I started really getting into the book of John and John's writings. Uh, I also thought it had something to do maybe with John Wimmer, and I was reading a, a, bi a biography of him at the same time. Um, so anyway, I, I get this dream, I'm moving through John's stuff, and uh, a couple of months go by, and then Sandra sends me a dream a couple of weeks ago, just before Ravi came. Uh, it was the weekend that Ravi was about to arrive here, um, do the ministry, the power and authority weekend that we had here with him. And uh, in, at the end of her dream, um, she said, Ravi handed me a book, and on the book was the name John. And I just had goosebumps at that point. And I was talking to a friend, and he pointed me to a scripture in Genesis where um, Pharaoh is recounting his dreams to Joseph. He has two sets of dreams. And, and Joseph says to Pharaoh, the dreams are one and the same. They're essentially the same dream. And it was given to you twice so that you would know that this matter is from the Lord. And that dream... Um, in addition to it, it marked a new season for them. And in the same way, God has marked John for us for this particular season. It is not by accident that we are in the book of John. Now, two weeks ago, Joel and I sat up here, and um, Joel essentially, we together made a call and said, come, let's go after more. Let's go after more. That was the essence, in a sense, of the call. That there is more, and we cannot settle for what we have had. We have to go after all that the Lord is offering us, because he is calling us to more. And some people went away from that going, what's the more? Here's the more. This message is the essence of the more. And in fact, this message is something that is, is simply... Uh, a summary of what you're going to see over and over and over again in the book of John. It is one of the main things that John essentially calls us to, and it is a life of more, more than we have ever had. You're going to see it in a, it's going to be introduced in a, a scripture you all know. The word became flesh. Right in the prologue. Right? So we're going to break that into two parts right now, and we're going to take a little bit, just a little bit of time to remind ourselves Jesus is God. Uh, that, that seems almost silly to remind us, but I want, to, I want us to see it in Scripture. I want you to see that Jesus makes that claim, but then I'm going to nuance it, okay? And that's going to be the incredibly important part of this message. So the Word became flesh. Would you go with me to John chapter 1? Many of you have this scripture memorized. I'm reading it anyway, and I want you to see it. Okay, so please do go there. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Just pause there. This is speaking about Jesus, and it is speaking about Jesus before Jesus became incarnate. So um, in, the, in the time, if it's proper to speak of time, in the time prior to Jesus, um, but before the Word becoming flesh, it, He is the Word. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is also known as the Son at that point. He simply hasn't yet been named as Jesus. But He is, it is one God in three persons, which is why we did the Creed this morning, because the Creed emphasizes that. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is there in perfect unity with the Father and with the Spirit as well. Go with me to chapter 8, verse 58. This is only one example of a number of times where Jesus makes this statement. Um, in John, they become known as the I am statements. And some of your translations will actually put something in after the I am statement. Um, but in Greek, it's just I am. And it, and it is a reference. It is a deliberate. You know, Jewish people cannot miss this. It is a deliberate reference to Exodus 3, where Yahweh introduces himself. Moses says, who should I say is sending me at the burning bush? Who should I say is sending me? And the Lord gives his name as I am who I am. When, when a Jewish person then says simply, I am, you better know that, that, is, that that's incredibly blasphemous if it's not true to a Jewish person, right? And Jesus makes I am statements in the book of John, um, deliberately referencing that, saying, guys, you've got to pick up that this I'm more than human. Pick it up. So here he's debating with... Um, Jewish leaders, and in verse 58, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is making a claim to have existed prior to Abraham. He, this is a claim to divinity. Right? Let that be abundantly clear this morning, and I'm going to emphasize it, because afterwards we're going to talk about Jesus' humanity and they don't cancel each other out. Look at chapter 17, verse 5. This is what's known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. So he's around, he's just with the disciples, and he's offering a prayer to the Lord, and what he says is, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had before the world existed. Jesus is once again making a claim to having an existence with the Father co-equal prior to his becoming Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Are we absolutely clear? Just three examples here from the book of John. Jesus is God. Okay. So let's pause there and get this. And let's go once again to the book of Revelation. Like, I say once again for those of you who are online because Roy read from this during worship this morning. 
The amazing thing about this is that we have a God who dies for us. We have a God who dies for us. In Revelation chapter 4, there's a scene in heaven in which the throne of God is seen. God himself is on the throne, and everyone around the throne is on their faces in worship before him. And what's then the, well, I'm going to read it here actually in in chapter 5. So as they're on their faces in worship before the throne, what John says is, I saw in the right hand of him who, who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The the scroll here is God's plan of moving history forward. And no one can move it forward. It's absolutely stuck until this. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll and seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes. This has to do with uh, understanding and and authority. but these are also the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold spirit of God. It's another way of saying he has the Holy Spirit on him. And he came, the Lamb came, and he took the scroll of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, they fell down before the Lamb, and each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, they bowed down and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them into a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads upon myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on the earth or under the earth or on the sea and all the things in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And they fell down and worshipped and said, Amen. Jesus shares the worship of the one who sits on the throne. Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Friends, would you open these and we take communion, reminding ourselves that we worship the God 
who deserves all the worship in the created universe. And it's not simply the God who is on the throne, it's the God who leaves the throne for you and for me. So we take these in remembrance and in celebration of a God who dies for us. Take them in remembrance of him. He emptied himself, 
Uh, in fact, my translation in the footnote says, in other words, he set aside his divine rights. All of the rights that he had of being God, it, when the word becomes flesh, he lays those aside. Okay? He emptied himself, he set aside his divine rights, and he took the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. The Jesus that you see in Scripture, while he is still and always God, has left aside every advantage that he had over everyone else in the neighborhood and in the room in order to live the same life that you and I live. So yes, his, his completeness and his purity are not compromised in that process, but they are not compromised in the same way that you choose not to compromise. It's a choice. It's not something that he had no choice about. He laid the advantages aside. So Hebrews will say um, that he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. And, and I constantly, friends, I constantly see this. I constantly see people undercut Jesus as the example to us by saying, ah, but he was God. He had an advantage over us. And what they do is they just took a Sharpie and erased or covered up that verse in Hebrews that says he, that, 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 says that he was tempted. And what they do is they, they, they take scissors and they essentially cut out Philippians 6 and 7 that says he gave up his advantages and emptied himself in order to live a human life. So he was God, but he was God in such a way that had no advantage over you, no advantage over me in any given situation we face. You have to be able to acknowledge that he is still God but living life the same way you and I live it. And John is going to point this out over and over and over again. So after the Philippians one, I have only given you John passages. But take a look at this because he makes this so clear. And it, it comes right from Jesus' mouth over and over again. Jesus says, 519, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. So God, as all-powerful, laid all-powerful aside. He did not lay God aside. He laid all-powerful aside. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. And you'll see it again in verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing. Jesus lived a life with no advantage over you. No advantage over me. And in case we didn't get it, we're going to go on. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 17. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Where did Jesus get his teaching? 
Jesus did not get his teaching because he himself was God. The teaching came from God. Are you following that? I, I realize we have not emphasized this before. I, I want to make this out as clear as possible. It, it, it is going to come up again and again as we move through John, but I want you to see it right from the outset. The teaching that Jesus has does not come from himself. It comes from God. He's getting it from God. John chapter 8, verse 26. He says, what I've heard from God, I, I tell the world. Skip down to verse 27. He says, I can do nothing on my own, but I speak what the Father has taught me. Not, I speak because I am God. He's not even drawing on his pre-existence with the Father to say, you know what, back when I was with the Father, is no, Jesus has spent, in the meantime, time with God in the same way you and I do. And out of that has come his teaching. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. That does not have to mean pre-existence. That, that can very easily mean, I spent quiet time with the Lord this morning. I heard from him. And now I share it with you. Chapter 12, verse 50. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Chapter 14, verse 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, does his works. Park on that for just a moment. I don't speak on my own, but I am in constant communion with the Lord in such a way that He speaks through me. You can do the same thing. Chapter 15 repeats it again. I call you friends because I've heard from the Father and I've made it known to you. Chapter 17, the words that you gave me, I gave them. So how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus act? How does Jesus do the things that he does? Speak the words that he speaks. If he has no advantage and he laid all of those advantages of being God aside, all-knowing, all-powerful, or the other ones, all-present, etc., etc., he does it in the same way that you can do it. Look at Acts 38, excuse me, 10, verse 38. Peter is speaking of his experience with Jesus. To, I believe that's Cornelius and his family in chapter 10. And he says, God, speaking of the Father, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For, how did he do it? For God was with him. 
not for he was God. He laid the divine rights aside and operated as a human being in perfect connection with God in such a way that God's works were constantly showing up in his life and God's words were constantly coming out of his mouth because of that constant connection with God. What else could that verse mean? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and therefore these things happened. It wasn't, it isn't, God came down and did cool stuff. God, like second person, came down and did cool stuff. He lived the same life that you and I have the opportunity to live. You, you see this in Luke 4. Luke 4, Jesus has just finished his temptation in the wilderness. And he comes out of the wilderness, chapter 14, in the power of the heart, um, chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in his own strength. How does he do what he does? Jesus does what he does because the Holy Spirit is on him. Jesus does what he does because what God does through the Holy Spirit is produce the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. So when Jesus goes to the woman at the well and says, you've had five husbands, he's not saying that because he's second person of the Trinity. He's saying that because he's heard it from the Lord in the same way you can hear it from the Lord when you are having coffee with a friend. He is demonstrating attunement to the Holy Spirit in the moment and spiritual gifts, be it prophecy or word of knowledge or something else. What you are going to see, what you are going to see as you move through John, and in every gospel, is that Jesus does what he does by the power of the Spirit, using the same resources you and I have available to us. We have the Holy Spirit available to us, we have the gifts that the Holy Spirit produces in us, and we see Jesus practicing a life of spiritual disciplines. So what Jesus does is he goes to get away with the Father. Before Jesus chooses the 12 disciples, he spends the entire night in prayer. Why didn't he sleep in and say, you 12, follow me? He is Because he is dependent on the Father. He is dependent on the Holy Spirit producing life in him. He is dependent on that constant connection in order that he might be our example. Every time that we default to, he did that because he's second person of the Trinity, we have automatically undercut him being our example because I am not second person of the Trinity. Therefore, I cannot follow his example. If he did that, because he is God. But he is my example. If he does it in the power of the Holy Spirit, using the same resources that God has made available to me, a life of spiritual disciplines, 
and a life filled with the Holy Spirit, fanning into flame the gifts that have been given.
That's what God calls us to. And that is what will change our lives. If we get a hold of Jesus as the example for me, it will transform our lives. It's what he calls us to. It's what he's sending us out to. I'd like you to take a moment to listen. Lord, forget what Ben has said. What are you saying to me now in this moment? Would you take that? I'll give you a minute or two. I'm going to come up with close. When Jesus called disciples, um, a disciple was an apprentice. In other words, a disciple was not simply a student in a classroom. A disciple was an apprentice doing the same things Jesus did. So you see that, for example, Jesus will cast out demons and then he expects his disciples to go and do the same. In fact, when Jesus goes on a spiritual retreat with three of his disciples, the other twelve were involved in that very work because they're disciples. They do the same things that Jesus does. The doing the same things that Jesus does is the more that he is calling us to. It is not a life of being a student. It is a life of being a practitioner of the very things Jesus does. But, like Jesus and his example, it will be the same for us. That just like Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It will be the exact same for us. Jesus says to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, see, he doesn't end it there, right? But if you remain in me, 
then you will bear much fruit. Let's go after the fruit by remaining in him, with that intimate connection with him, in order that he produce a life that we live, not a life that we study. Let's pray. Jesus, I worship you. All praise and honor and glory and blessing and power and might and wisdom and strength, all of that, Lord, is to you. You're the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You're the one who opens the scroll and moves history forward. And you do it by emptying yourself. So Lord, I worship you. I praise you that you would lay everything aside for us, for me. In order that you would not only save us, but set us an example and leave us footsteps in which to follow. Lord, would you make each one of us increasingly aware of those footsteps that we might walk the path that Jesus walked Yet with the same connection to you and with the same words and actions that flowed out of that. Would you call us to a discipleship that goes beyond memorizing content? To a life of action. Lord, the prayer is not simply for those in this room. The prayer is for the generation downstairs. The prayer is for the city outside these walls. That, that you would multiply the Jesuses in this city as little, little image bearers following in the footsteps of our Lord and doing the same things you did with the same heart that you had so that the world is transformed, so that the light continues to shine in the darkness and the darkness doesn't get it. Or that's what we want to see. Or come and have your way in us so that every place in which we say, mm, this far and no further, Lord. Like those elders around the, the throne, we would lay everything down, even the crown that you have given us, and say, we are not worthy. It is all to you, it is all for you. And it is all because of what you have done for us. Lord, we bless you. 
and love you. Thank you for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Do we have a final worship song? All right, I'm going to invite Roy to join Joel to come on back up.
Would you close your, uh, close your eyes with me? We'll pray. Lord, it is that closer walk with you that we want. Because that's the walk Jesus had. Lord, would you do that for us in increasing measure, even now? So even now, if there is something that had been holding us back, we offer that to you. We, we metaphorically let it go out of our hands and say, it's yours, Lord. Let's get even closer. Would you do that for us? Lord, would you identify those things in, your, in our lives where we have been holding on and, and saying, you and I may walk this close, but no closer. And now say, Lord, you close the gap. I put nothing between us. Lord, would you make us like the disciple John, who when he wants an answer from Jesus, having already been leaning back on his chest, leans even further back and asks this question. Lord, would you, would you make us those kind of disciples? That's what we are after, Lord. It's more of you. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to bless those who are online and say, uh, see you later. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thanks for being here with us. Blessings to you. Have a great week. Um, for those of you who are, are remaining here, um, we're going to do something a little bit different. Joel, do you want to come up and sort of introduce what we're going to do here? Um, Nadine, he's going to grab this mic if that's okay. Jesus gives an example.